Good morning, City Life. How are you guys doing today? Are you guys still waking up? Good morning, City Life. How are you guys doing today? All right, all right, all right. I am excited to be here. We're in the sermon series called Pentecost, and I am excited to be able to speak on one of my favorite topics. I love this topic because the day of Pentecost was, the, was one of the most transforming days for the early church where the early church was empowered to speak boldly. The early church was empowered to go out and speak the good news of Jesus um, to all tribes, all tongues, all nations. Isn't that amazing? It's just wonderful, wonderful to be able to uh, speak on that this morning. But how many of you guys here are afraid of the dark? Raise your hand. Oh, so many liars here. <laughs> I just play it. I just play it. I play it. So some of you might still be. How many were afraid of the dark here? Yeah, right? So, you know, some of us, are, we, we've, I, I remember, I, I grew up in inner city Chicago, and, so, and if anybody who, uh, who's ever lived in Chicago in a janky apartment, <laughs> um, our, our apartment, the bathroom in, the, in, in our apartment, the light switch was outside the bathroom. Okay? The light switch was outside the bathroom. And my father was a joker. Okay? My father liked to joke around, and what my father liked to do, he liked to torture his kids, apparently. <laughs> so what he would do just to mess with us is that when we were in the bathroom doing our business, he would shut off the light on you. And it didn't matter what condition you were in the bathroom, you were running out of the bathroom. <laughs> because you were just, I was so deathly afraid of the dark. And then I thought, like many of you, that you've conquered your fear of the darkness, right? You've conquered your fear of the darkness. But not too long ago, about a year ago, I was, a ch I was working as a hospice chaplain. And I was going through the country, who knows where in Michigan. And I was driving and I was coming home late. And my car had a electronic issues. And the headlights went out in the middle of the country in the dark. And then I realized... I wasn't over my fear of darkness. <laughs> but darkness can, can be scary. And darkness is scary for various different reasons. Darkness is scary because of uncertainty. Because you can't see. Because you don't know where your surroundings are. You don't know how, how you might see that piano, but then when the, everything is dark, you don't know the proximity anymore. You don't have depth perception. You don't have... There's so many elements of darkness that are scary that it's just, it's, it's difficult to navigate through darkness unless you have some light. Amen? And so we're going to go ahead and read the passage. We're going to read Acts chapter 2, um, verses 2 through 47. There's a couple verses I'm going to skip, but it's going to be up in the, in, in the screen, okay? So follow along with me. And it says like, it says like this. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? 
then how is it that each of us hear them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, I don't know if I'm saying these right, Egypt, and the parts, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and, and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they had too much wine. You always got to have somebody. You always got to have somebody that will criticize you. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I have to say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's, o- it's only nine in the morning. That doesn't stop some people, but it's okay. It's five o'clock somewhere, right? No. This was what was spoken to by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and, I, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone, say with me, everyone. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be what? Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth, a man that was credited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among, among you through him. As you yourselves know, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan. Say God's deliberate plan. And foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on the cross. But God raised him from the dead. Freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Verse 37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said, Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are uh, far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many, other, with many others, with many other words, sorry, he warned them and he pleaded them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accept his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves, this is important here, they devoted themselves, say devoted. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. 
They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Isn't that beautiful? And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this word, and we thank you for your wonders. And we just ask, Lord, that you open our hearts, Lord God. Open our hearts to receive what you have for us this morning. And Lord, may you continue to speak through me, Lord God. May, not, may I not say one word, but you say all of them, Lord God. We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. What a beautiful picture of Pentecost. What a beautiful transforming picture of how the early church was empowered to be transformative in their communities, transformative to the people around them. This is such a beautiful picture. I don't know about you. Who's bilingual here? Does anybody? We got some bilingual people? Okay, great. Whenever you hear somebody from your country or somebody that, or, 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 or an, a, a tongue that's native to you from even across the room, you hear it, don't you? And all of a sudden, like, you become like a, dog, like a puppy. You're like, what, what? Like, for me, if I, whenever I see another Puerto Rican... Whenever I hear another Puerto Rican, it's like hearing my mom or like hearing my dad or hearing like a family member. And all of a sudden, my senses go completely towards that person. And, and it's funny because when we lock eyes and we come together, we're hugging, we're kissing, we're, we're, we're talking, and we're, we're, we're sharing our experiences. Because at that moment, we're not just two strangers, but at that moment, we're, we're a tribe, we're a family. Do you understand that? So just imagine what this picture here at Pentecost, imagine what this picture here, when these people that are gathered from around the world start hearing these Galileans speak their language. Now they're not just strangers, but now they're saying something that pertains to them. They're not just speaking a language, but they're speaking to the heart. There's something that connects them there. And that's what God is trying to do since the beginning. God is trying to, from the very, very beginning, in order for us to understand Pentecost, we need to go back to Genesis. We need to go all the way back to Genesis. And in Genesis, when, when, when God created, he created, and it was good. He said only by the words of his mouth were things created, including light. And friends, I'm going to say something here that you might call me a heretic, but I'm going to prove you wrong. God dwells in darkness. God dwells in darkness. If you don't believe me, let's go ahead and read some scripture, okay? Genesis chapter 1 verse 2. In the very beginning, right? Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Psalm 18 verse 11 says, He made darkness his covering. His canopy around him, the dark rain clouds of the sky. Now, I just want to go, I want to take you to Jewish understanding of Yahweh God. Jewish understanding of Yahweh God in the Old Testament was a, a God that had to be revered, a God that we feared, a God that we had high respect for. It was a God of thunder, of God of consuming fire. 
right? It was a God that needed to be revered. He was the king of Israel. He was almighty. But yet he always wanted to draw close. In Genesis, when the, when the separation of God and, and, and creation happened because of our sin, we continue to go further and further and further and further away from Eden. You guys understand that? Because when we sinned, when Adam and Eve sinned, it didn't stop their friends. Then their kids sinned. Then their grandkids sinned. And then everybody continued to sin to the point where God was like, I regret making mankind. Scripture says that. To the point where, that's where we go into Noah's Ark, right? Where he destroys all of creation. Brings up Noah so he could save animals and people alike. But the sin did not stop there, did it? Once he got off the boat, he got drunk, got naked. And sin continued. And the, we move further and further and further away from Eden. We move further and further away from God. So there was this disconnect. And God rose up prophets in Israel in order to be able to speak to his people. And not just that, but the prophet also spoke on behalf of the people to God. And the prophet became the mediator between people and God. So when God wanted to give a message, he would give the prophet a message to give to the people. And when the people had a complaint, they would go up to the prophet so the prophet can go up to God and say what he needed to say. They created a temple. And, and, and they, revered, they revered God so much that Solomon, when he created, uh, uh, or even before, when Moses in the, in the tabernacle, there was no light accepted in the holies of holies. It had to be in utter and complete darkness. And the high priest can only go inside of the holies of holies once a year. And if he was not, and if he was in sin or he was not in the, in, in the right uh, frame of, uh, of being before God, they had to put a little bell on his leg because if he, he would drop dead if he wasn't right before God. And they would have to pull him out of the holies of holies. And we don't hear that preached a lot, do we? But God is sovereign. God is almighty. He is powerful. He is thunder. He, is, he, he makes darkness his pavilion. But what does this mean? God needed to reveal himself. And how does God reveal? How does anything reveal? Through light. Amen? Light reveals Revelation. So all of a sudden, there needed to be a sacrifice. There needed to be a lamb, a perfect lamb. There needed to be a light of the world. And that's where Jesus was born, and then Jesus was God incarnate. He was both 100% man and 100% God. He was the revelation of God, of Yahweh God to us. Isn't that beautiful? Now God wasn't this just far off God or, or this, 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 this God that was in the holies of holies in darkness. Now God was tangible. You could touch him. You could hug him. You could kiss him. You could, Jesus. Jesus was that revelation of God on our earth in this world. And John chapter 8 verse 12 says this. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. 
but we'll have the light of life. So Jesus now is the revelation of God. He has come to this earth to reveal who God is, and there was a divine plan. And that divine plan was that that light of the world was going to have to walk through some dark times. That his son Jesus had to walk through some extremely hard times, and it was part of God's plan. Man, when we walk through dark times, it doesn't seem like it's God's plan, does it? When we go through difficult situations, it doesn't seem like God's. And many, many times when we go through dark situations and dark, we, sometimes we feel alone. And we feel like God's not there. And we feel like God, some, many times, I don't know if you've ever prayed this prayer, but there's been times where I've, I've come to God. I'm like, God, where are you? How long are you, you going to let life choke me out? How, why am I going through this difficult situation? But when you take the posture of the light of the world and say, but my will not be done, but yours may be done. Things start transforming. And God starts showing some things in your life that you, knew weren't, that you probably didn't know were there before. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 to 15 says this, and this is Jesus talking. Now, instead of him referring himself to the light of the world, he says this, you are the light of the world. Oh, I, I, that gets me excited. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on stands to give light to everyone in the house. This light can't be covered up, but this light has to shine, baby. It needs to shine. But light, friends, when we, work, when we walk in darkness for a long time, it's hard to walk in, it's hard to step into the light, isn't it? When we walk in darkness so long as you get comfortable in darkness. That when you step into the light, you're just like, I don't know if I can. Do you know why, friends? Because our culture is so dependent, and not so much dependent, but so obsessed with appearances. Many, many times we go to church to appear that we're good people. We're all about appearances. We got to make sure that we got the right house, with the right car, with the white picket fence, with the 2.5 kids, with the laboratory retriever, because we're American. Right? We're all about that appearance. But we don't let, many times, we don't let anybody in. And we're struggling with things that we don't let anybody in. And then we wonder why the divorce rate is so high. And then we wonder why uh, the uh, uh, relationships between parents and children are, are getting worse and worse every day. And then we wonder why we have so many different issues in our culture. Because we're not, let, we're not stepping into the light of Christ. Because the light of Christ, friends, reveals. That's the whole job of Jesus. His job was to reveal who God was to earth. And when we step into the light of Christ, guess what? We're going to be exposed. But that makes us uncomfortable. But friends, it's the best thing that could happen to us. 
The best thing to do is to step into the light of Christ and all of a sudden all your cuts and bruises are exposed. And when your cuts and bruises are exposed, then the doctor can go to work. Then God can do some true healing in your life. And your church family can come around you and love you in those dark moments. And many times the church doesn't have that reputation. Many unbelievers don't come to church because of the fear of getting judged. But at the end of the day, our job is to come around and love and care for and speak boldly against sin. But at the same time, bandage up the wounds of the people. It's easy to point, specifically when we don't know politically or we don't know religiously, it's easy to point the finger and say, those people. But at the end of the day, when you get to know somebody, hello somebody, when you get to know somebody, you have right relationship. When you build relationship with somebody who's different from you, then you get to love them and you get to meet them where they're at because that's where Christ, Christ meets us where we're at. So I got a story. I grew up in church. My parents came to Christ when I was nine years old. And my family had a lot of baggage. Some of the young adults have heard the story before. But my family had a lot of baggage. And in that baggage, we struggled throughout even our Christian life. My father and I, when I started getting into my teen years, hello, parents with teens. When I started getting into my teen years, I started challenging my father's authority because I saw some injustices inside the home, and I didn't like it. So I started challenging my father's authority, and my father didn't like that. And what happened is that our relationship continued to get strained and continued to get strained and continued to get strained, even my father being a leader in the church. Our relationship became strained. To the point, and I'm embarrassed to say this, but it's the truth, but to the point where my father and I would get into these terrible fist fights, even in our own home, and it would be so loud that the neighbors would have to come in and separate us. And that's embarrassing. But it was the darkness that we were living in, and none of us wanted to step out into the light and let God do his thing. So we continue fast forward. He loved me. I loved him. But we still had this strained relationship that was not healed because we weren't willing to bring it up to the surface and just give it to God. So whenever you have a strained relationship and you live in darkness for so long, anything can trigger you. Right? Any little thing. In marriage, man, he's breathing the wrong way. Can't stand his face. We laugh because it's true, right? <laughs> but anything can trigger you when you have a strained relationship, when you're living in darkness in one way. Anything can trigger you. And I remember that my father, um, my father one day, he let me borrow some tools from his garage. And my dad gave me specific instructions. He said, hey, take the tools, put them back where you found them, blah, blah, you know, the, the father spew. And I'm already older. I'm 28 years old at this time. I had my own home. He let me borrow some tools. I took the tools, and I put them back where he said to put them back. But my father, being like me, or me being like him, he's very forgetful, just like I am. 
And he said one, he called me extremely angry. And he said, Luis, where's my tools? And I said, Dad, I left them where you told me to, where you told me to leave them. And he said, nope, they're not there. And I'm like, well, Dad, I don't know what to tell you. I remember putting the tools back where you told me to do. I was like, well, I'm going to have to go to your house and, and, and search for my tools. And that triggered me. He's like, oh, no, you ain't coming into my space. You ain't coming to my home and trying to search my, right? You, you, all of a sudden, you become blind with darkness. You become blind with darkness. And him and I got into this nasty argument. And I said, you know what? This is toxic. I'm cutting you off. That's it. I went four months without talking to my father. And for some of you, if said four months is not a long time. But for Hispanic people, four months not speaking to your parents, that's like 10 years, y'all. Because we're, we're tightly knit. Puerto Ricans, we're just tightly knit. So those four months felt like hell. But I stuck to it. I said, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to live in this darkness. I'm not going to live. I just don't want to. I don't want to deal with my father anymore. Four months later, I received a phone call from my father. And my father said, hey, Luis, how you doing? I'm like, all right, I'm good. He's like, hey, I'd like to take you out to dinner sometime. I said, yeah, sure, we'll go. My dad loves Chinese food, so we went to a Chinese buffet. And it was the most awkward dinner. <laughs> it was the most awkward dinner because we didn't say one word to each other. We just ate. And it becomes even more awkward when you're nervous eating and you have two or three plates and it takes you longer. So you're sitting there and not a word. Then afterwards, he invited me to his house, and I went to his house. He sat there, and he said, Luis, I just want to hear you out. He gave me permission. And when he gave me permission, I started to, when I was a preteen, until I was, and with anger in my voice, and with tears running down my, my cheeks, I just let him have it. And my dad is not a guy that lets, lets himself let, how do I say this? He doesn't let people give it to him. Does that make sense? Like he's really defensive. So I was giving it to him. You know, I was just, you know, in my groove, you know, like just giving it to him. And all of a sudden, he stays quiet, doesn't say one word. And then that got me upset. So I finally said, Dad, aren't you going to say something? I'm, I'm here giving it to you, and you're not going to say nothing? And my father said, I just want to hug my son. That's all he said. I just want to hug my son. And what was that? That waterworks started happening. You know, I was like, I was a mess. We hugged. We cried together. And finally, we stepped into the light of Christ at that moment. We let God heal us. My father decided to be the bigger man and say, I'm going to be humble and I'm just going to let him talk because I'm not listening. And that was the start of an awesome journey of healing between my father and I and our family together. And friends, there's so much that we're going through. There could, there could be marriages right here that are falling apart. Marriages that don't, are not probably even talking to each other. Guys, it's time, friends, it's time to get honest. It's time to step into the light of Christ and let God heal those wounds. 
relationships that you have that are broken with other people, family members, so on and so forth. It's time to let the light of Christ transform you. And you know what the beautiful thing about it, friends, is that God is the God of everything, including darkness. And Yahweh God has been in darkness. He made darkness his pavilion. So guess what, friends? He knows how to navigate through darkness. He knows how to do that. Why are you trying to navigate through your darkness by yourself? Why are you trying to navigate there? Just hold on to God. Just hold on to his hand. And let Jesus reveal things in your life that you might need to be revealed. Friends, here in, in, in this passage, and I can have a mark and come up. In this passage, I told you guys that in the Old Testament, it was about going up right into the tabernacle, going up right into the, 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 the temple, and meeting God there. And once a year, a lamb was sacrificed for the sins of the people. But Jesus turned that upside down. When Jesus died on the cross, and he gave his last breath, the word of God says that the whole earth became dark. Darkness. But there was also hope. And you know what that hope was? The veil in the holies of holies was broken, was torn. Now the presence of God was not just in one place, but the presence of God was going to go to everyone. And then he promised that the Spirit of God, that the Holy Spirit was going to be poured out. So now instead of going up into the presence of God, now the presence of God is coming down to all of us. And now we get to be the ambassadors of the presence of God in our communities. And we get to be the ambassadors of the light of Christ into our, church, into our uh, schools, into our workplaces, into everything. We get to be that light. Oh, that got me excited, but we get to be that light. So when somebody at your work is struggling with somebody, oh, there's a light in Diana. Even though she can't hold her tongue too much, but you know, there's a light. I see a light there. Friends, let's step into the light. I want you to know that our church, we are excited for you. We love you. And we want to hear from you. If you need somebody to talk to, you can come up to Pastor Christy. You can come up to myself. You can come up to Kevin, to Pastor Josh, to, to anybody. Just come up to one of us. And we'll talk it out. We'll talk about what that looks like. We want to love you. We want to be there for you. We want to surround you and make sure that you are stepping into the light of Christ. So that way you can be the light of Christ to others. Your story matters. And your story, just like Jesus' story that he had to go through dark times, was God ordained? Your dark moments are dark God ordained. And he's trying to teach you something. So, friends, right now, I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I want you to think about what darkness you're living 
in right now. And I don't want you to fear it. I want you to imagine, as you close your eyes and bow your heads, I want you to imagine you holding on to God, holding on to his hand, an expert at navigating through darkness, and let go of control, and let God guide you through that darkness. Because Yahweh God has lived in that darkness. Jesus was that revelation and that light. And now he empowers you with his Holy Spirit to be that light to others. So think about that light. I'll give you 30 seconds to about a minute to think about what areas in your life are you living in darkness. Father God, we come before you thanking you for your Holy Spirit. Thanking you, Jesus, that you made your sacrifice and one of the darkest moments was able to bring light at Resurrection Sunday. And Yahweh God, I thank you that you lived millennia in darkness before creating light and you know how to navigate it through it. And God, I'm just asking you at this moment, God, to give us the boldness and the courage to step into the light. And Lord God, for you to be able to heal our cuts and our wounds. That you may be able to do surgery on some of these cancers, these spiritual cancers, God, that are killing us. God, we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, we get to take communion this morning and we get to remember